Welcome to the Medical Association of Georgia's award-winning top doc show. With more than 8,000 members who care for patients in every specialty and practice setting, MAG is the leading voice for physicians in Georgia. Go to mag.org to join MAG if you're a physician in Georgia. And thanks to Alliant Health Solutions for its support as a sponsor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Top Docs. I'm your host and MAG CEO, Donald Palmasano. Today's show is going to address ways that physicians and allied care professionals and the overall healthcare system can better serve underserved communities in Georgia, including immigrants and refugees. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Haval Kelly, who is a preventative cardiology physician with the Northside Hospital Cardiovascular Institute and who has a really interesting life story. Dr. Kelly, thank you for joining us today. It was my pleasure to have you. Uh, well, good. Well, I, I did some research uh, before, we got, uh, before we got on the show, but um, can you give uh, our, our audience a, a, a brief history of your life story? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Again, it's, it's an honor to be here. I never imagined that I'd be interviewed when I came to this country. You know, I'm a Kurd from Syria. Well, we had to flee Syria in the 1990s because of oppression and prosecution of my dad. We arrived uh, in Germany in 1996, lived there in refugee camps for six years. We were not allowed to stay there, so we applied to the U.S. as uh, refugees, and we were accepted our asylum to come here. We arrived here two weeks after 9-11 during wow. a difficult time. Uh, we got here to Georgia, and uh, we resettled in Clarkston, Georgia, a small town outside of Stone Mountain. Uh, you know, I came here at the age of 18. Uh, you know, my, my father had a heart attack. My mom couldn't work at that time and so i had to start washing dishes at a high school senior uh, 40 50 hours a week uh, went to georgia state morehouse school of medicine and eventually started my residency in 2012 at emory university in total medicine and i just actually finished my cardiology fellowship so it's been a journey of uh, 20 years going from you know washing dishes across from emory to now finishing the fellowship there and working with northside well, good. Well, first of all, thank you for after completing your residency. First of all, congratulations on completing your residency. Um, second of all, uh, thank you for staying in Georgia, because um, that's a big challenge that we have in Georgia is that, uh, you know, we, we, we don't, we're not able to keep a lot, you know, a lot of physicians move because of their, their residency slots all over. So whenever we have somebody who stays in Georgia, so thank you very much uh, for staying here as well. I mean, it's the least I could do. You know, if it wasn't for Georgia and the great uh, resident American of this state, I would not be able to make it as far. So the least I could do is to give back and work in the community. Absolutely. Well, so what originally piqued your interest in uh, medicine? You know, when I lived in Clarkson back in the early 2000s there, it was, you know, very underserved, lack of access of healthcare. And honestly, like, you know, the one of the main reasons the ambulance will come to the area in our apartment complex because someone had a heart attack and I was like I need to do something about this and so I wanted to pursue uh, you know a, a career where I could help and prevent you know heart disease in my community and that's why I became interested so I experienced the challenges that many people face in underserved communities and I felt like medicine was one of my callings to make a difference. And so how did you end up uh, being a cardiologist in one of the most underserved communities in Georgia? Well, you know, like I had great mentor when I was a resident, you know, I was working with Dr. Sperling and Dr. Kayumi and, and their guys were very focused on preventive cardiology. And 
you know, prevention is the feature of, of everything we do in medicine. So, you know, we could tackle heart disease all day long, but we need to figure out ways to prevent it. And, you know, and cardiology is such a dynamic field is always changing new things to learn. And you ask anyone, you know, someone always knows someone who had heart disease. So it affects in everyone in the community. So especially underserved community are the most impacted by cardiovascular disease. And I know we, we touched upon it a little bit, but what, what drives your passion about serving your, your community? You know, because I made it this far because of fellow Americans and people who provided me the platform to be here. And, you know, as a, as a Kurdish person, we have a saying, say, whoever taught you an alphabet, you own them a book. So I feel like I, I, I own the United States and the state of Georgia, you know, volumes, like, you know, to give back. I would not have made it this far. So it is my, you know, pleasure and honor to serve. So I, I, I enjoy being, you know, being also trained at Grady Hospital, seeing the most underserved patient, you know, makes you understand what the challenges are. So I could take all the experience and take it back to my community in Gwinnett and DeKalb. So, so when we, uh, you know, as a cardiologist, um, what are some of the biggest challenges um, for people who live in these underserved communities? What are they facing? I mean, there's a wide range of challenges. You know, one thing is, you know, when you, you know, when you're poor and living on these communities, you know, healthcare is not your number of priority. You're trying to make it pay the bills, you know, take care of your kids. So, you know, prevention is not something that many people focus on. And the second thing, access to quality health care. So a lot of these communities don't have access to good, you know, care, like especially cardiovascular care. They have to take the bus or, you know, drive to those different centers. So access to care is a big challenge. You know, health education is a big challenge, you know, and prevention. So some of these areas that we could focus on and make a difference, which have been proven in studies and research that do, you know, if you focus on cardiovascular prevention, you do actually make a difference in, in cardiovascular disease outcome. Yeah, we've had a, we did a show about a week or so ago um, discussing about um, healthcare disparities and social determinants of health. And I think sometimes um, people forget that um, if you're worried from paycheck to paycheck and you live in these food deserts, it's very hard to put an emphasis on prevention when the resources aren't there. And I think that's, that's one of the messages we're trying to drive home is that how, how can we help these areas? How can we make sure that there's grocery stores, um, you know, overcome these food deserts, the, the things in life that are, that, that are the basic necessities? That's very true. You know, one of the areas, you know, I come from those community now. I came here as, a, as an immigrant refugee and noticed uh, the challenges. You know, I tell always everyone, like, you know, an immigrant refugee, after a few years, they face the same challenges as a poor American. The only difference is that, you know, once they acquire the language, they face the same challenge of access to care, access to healthy food, quality education. So one of the areas that I became very focused on is like, how do I recruit more people to become doctors and physicians and healthcare workers? So while we're trying to address some of the issues, we should be also focused on maybe like recruiting more people from those communities to become healthcare workers so they could go back and serve those communities. So I know that uh, you touched upon um, immigrants and refugees, but what are some of the specific challenges that immigrants and refugees face? Well, you know, you know, when an immigrant refugee arrived to this country, one thing most people have to keep in mind, they really have no family or friends here. So their social structure is not existent. So they rely on the churches and a different resettlement agency to help them out. Then the second major barrier is language. 
you know, I, my family was lucky that I was 18 years old, be able to go to high school and learn English. But how about if you're an elderly and you have no young people like who translate for you? So language is a major barrier, culture is a major barrier, and then lack of the social structure. So you come to this country, most of refugees who flee their home, they're either fleeing like natural disaster or a war zone. So while you're dealing with these mental health issues, you're also facing all these culture and language challenges. So it's, it's pretty, you know, pretty tremendous what people coming to this country, if they make it this far, I feel like, you know, they have the tremendous resilience, you know, facing all these challenges, especially in healthcare. Right, right. And then, so um, I've read uh, some pieces about the work that you're doing um, nationally uh, 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 with COVID. So can you talk to our audience and explain to them about uh, what are you doing and with, with uh, during COVID-19 and how your patients are being affected and how you're helping out the community? Well, you know, one of the main, uh, impact we made is like, you know, we work with the city. So in Clarkston, you know, is one of the most diverse places in Georgia. So, you know, half of the population is African-American and half of them is refugees and immigrants. So with the city of Clarkston, we started the, the COVID-19 task force where we brought all the, you know, the, the stakeholders to work on how to educate people. So Georgia State uh, Prevention Research Center is something that got started by the CDC recently and got funded. They work with the city of Clarkson to establish all these health you know, modules and educational material to translate in various languages and also simplified English for our American population to learn about COVID. That was the first that we need to educate people about COVID. Second thing, they funded these virtual sessions that we, we did in different languages, including English, of course, where we teach people about what COVID-19 is by bringing experts and answering their question through online forum. And the last thing they're doing right now, actually, they're providing testing in different like free clinics and we, like over the last uh, two months, we passed over, I think, 10,000 masks and hand sanitizer to 14 apartment complexes in wow. Boston. So there's various different levels, but it's all come back to bringing the academic institution with the community leaders and the city to work together to find ways to make a difference. And it's, 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 it's a great story because it's not only physicians, it's, it's other healthcare providers, but again, you're bringing in the community itself as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, we bring the community leaders to tell us what are the challenges. For example, we had, you know, the church members from the African-American community telling us exactly what the needs are. So where we actually like focus mostly providing some rental assistance. So the, the task force uh, convinced the city of Clarkson to provide some kind of stipend for people who can't afford, you know, the, the, you know, the payment for their apartments while we addressing some of the healthcare issue. So when you bring these stakeholders together, actually, you start finding out there's more issues are important like recently we find out a lot of the apartment complexes don't have access to internet so they're trying to figure out a way to bring these buses with wireless you know routers to bring internet to the kids so they could have access to virtual learning so again like you know just bringing people together and i think as a physician it's very important for us to understand our power in the society to go beyond the exam room so you know i'm just like the connector now connecting the academic institution with the healthcare system you know with the various community leaders yeah and, and that's what uh, you know, the fo one of the focuses that we've had over the last few years, as well as with the Physicians Foundation and a couple of other groups, have been really pushing about social determinants of health, health disparities, and what have you. And that's exactly what we're talking about. People don't have internet. You get them internet. I mean, that's what they're worried about. You, you know, they're, they're concerned about how they're going to pay their rent. So, I mean, that's exactly what, um, the, the, what we've been trying to educate different policymakers on is that if you're going to improve health, you've got to address basic necessities as well. Yeah, you make a great point. And you know what I did when I was part of the task force, 
me and my colleague, we just sent an email detailing what is the importance is of you know, socioeconomic status on health. And we convinced the city of Clarkson to consider giving those stipend because I'm like, we could educate, we could pass masks and hand sanitizer. If kids, if kids don't have a home, where you know, family cannot get a little help to kind of survive through this COVID-19, then all this health education and prevention is not gonna make a major difference. Right. So, so what are some of the biggest challenges um, that you're seeing with immigrant, immigrants and refugees facing when they come, when it comes to gaining access to the healthcare system itself? I mean, the biggest barrier is, I would say, is language, especially for the early arrival, like people who've been here less than, you know, two, three years. Uh, the language is a big issue. In addition to language, culture, because, you know, not, not you know, if, like, for example, I speak Kurdish and Arabic. Not every Arabic speaking person has the right. same, you know, culture. So culture is very important, especially like if you come from a conservative background versus, you know, liberal background. So a lot of these things are, could be a barrier to health, you know. And, uh, and number two is education, you know. Uh, a lot, you know, we work with the Grace Village Clinic right now in Clarkston, and a lot of the thing they're doing is with Georgia State Public Health is actually translating all the drugs that they give to patient in various languages, so patient understand why they're taking these drugs. So language mm -hmm. is a major barrier, and then after language, honestly, a lot of the stuff is the same with poor American, you know, and people from socioeconomic status, they face the same challenges. So if you could address the languages, you could address a big issue in actually in immigrant and refugee community. Well, that leads me to my next question about how challenging can the communications process be given uh, the limited amount of time that you have with patients, um, not to mention the other barriers and cultural differences. Well, I'm kind of in this very interesting position because I speak several languages, you know, and I'll be able, when I was, a, for example, a resident at Grady and a fellow, half of my patients were Arabic and Kurdish speaking. So my colleague loved it because it saved them a lot of time. So it's one way is to find out who speaks a different language in your practice and kind of tailor some of those patients to those you know, people who speak the language. Because it does make a difference when people could hear someone directly speaks those languages. And also the same culture too, it helps makes a difference. Like I remember when I was you know, even a med student, you know, I came from a Muslim background. So if there was a Muslim patient came in and needed some explanation, even as a med student, if I came in and kind of start explaining and telling my, my religious background, it does make a difference. And as you understand in any area of, of you know, business, not just medicine, Right. Culture, tolerance, you know, and understanding makes a huge difference. So uh, we, we've, we've touched on a lot, but let me ask you this, because I know you've been, in, you, you've been very engaged on, um, on, on, on the issues that we've been discussing, but can you speak directly about the work that you're doing? Educate our audience to address um, a lot of these issues uh, with immigrants, refugees, and, and, and just getting healthcare access. Well, you know, like a lot of the position I started becoming in the community, I just became present in the community. I, you know, I showed up in the community, figured out who are the stakeholders and start working with people. And initially started volunteering in free clinics in Clarkston. And I started asking my co-fellow and resident to become. So I became the connector as a main role between the healthcare institution and also the community. And then the big things I do right now, I work with the Georgia State Prevention Resource Center is to tackle COVID-19 from every aspect, from the educational and health aspect, where we provide testing and education to the various community in Clarkson and beyond. So I, I remember when we have a free clinic that I worked with in Grace, a lot of the patients don't just come from Clarkson, they came from outside, from Beaufort Highway, from Lawrenceville, you know, from Atlanta. So once we provide a resource that works for underserved community, many other communities come show up to, to get that help too. And so uh, what, what can healthcare organizations and other physicians and other uh, allied professionals, what can they do to make a difference? 
I think one of the great step is to figure out what are the uh, you know, free or a discounted clinic in, in those, those areas and work with them. I'll give you a prime example, you know, at, at Grace Village Clinic, you know, I was able to get Emory physician resident to come, people from Piedmont, people from Northside. I would just tell them, hey, this is free clinic, you can sign up, it's supported by the Department of Public Health. You could show up and, you know, and it's basically treating hypertension and diabetes and prevention. So one of the things is to become connected to the community through these established organization. And I think that can make a huge difference because we learn also when these different hospitals were represented in these clinics, what a different physician, they're able to bring some of the resources they had in their, in their hospitals. Yeah, I, I do. We do a lot of work with the Georgia Charitable Care Network. And, um, and it's, it's, it's great work when, when we, you know, you have the opportunity to go to um, a lot of these free clinics and see, you know, what, one of the challenges that I, I have seen uh, within the system is that sometimes you, you may be lacking a specialist, you may be lacking a dentist, or you may be lacking um, other care that's needed. And I think that's been the big challenge is trying to locate um, folks to come help out uh, in these free clinics because everybody I talk to that works in a free clinic loves it because what well, you get to treat the patient and you don't have to worry about all the, all the bureaucracy that you normally have to work with in your own practices. You're right. As a, I mean, I think it's one of the way to tackle burnout in medicine. You know, you come in, you know, you're helping people. They're very appreciative. And it's honestly, a lot of the stuff is very simple. Like it's not very complex medical issue. Some people come in and just have high blood pressure. When you give them a prescription and they get their medicine from the clinic, it's feel like you gave them like a million dollar of care. So like you just, and you save life, you know, like that's another thing. Like, you know, you start someone on early treatment for high cholesterol and high blood pressure, you prevent them from having a heart attack, you know, if they haven't seen a doctor for that long. Right, exactly. Well, um, let me ask you, uh, what, what, you know, we have a lot of challenges at the state level, um, access to care, is a big issue. Um, we've got, you know, obviously shortages around the state with physicians and other healthcare providers. Um, based on your experience and, and your knowledge, what should be done at the state level to address a lot of these, these access issues for, for immigrants and refugees? I think, you know, the, the biggest thing will be if there was a consortium with a, a network, you know, the resettlement agency have that, where all the organization work together and kind of meet on a quarterly basis to discover what are the challenges and how to address them and share the resources. Something will be very important on a state level is to create like a network of where the different, you know, healthcare leaders and, you know, institution and organization come together. And even if they meet twice a year to kind of address some of the challenges and how they tackle them, I think that should be a great start to have that conversation. And after that, you start seeing what the challenges are, you know, you know, is it like, truly cardiovascular disease? Is it like health prevention? Is it cancer prevention? So it's all of these things that needs to be discussed. And I think when you bring people together, you will find out that, you know, that we could make a difference. Yeah. Have we, uh, have we learned any lessons from COVID-19 uh, uh, that you can help us with going forward? Um, oh, you're on uh, mute. Oh, sorry. Like my, my child came in, like, you know, I'm, you know, working from home, one of the challenges is having a child <laughs> is a one year old. That's fine. Trust me. Which sure it's good. It's okay. Absolutely. You know, the challenge with COVID was early on. And as you know, a lot of the data came, a lot of the minority and underserved community are the biggest hit by COVID. I mean, right. it's like just outcome, you know, spread of disease. And I think it goes back to the education and health prevention. You know, we noticed, for example, in the city of Clarkson, people were not getting tested because they were afraid. 
They're like, oh, if I get tested for COVID, I'm going to lose my job. Whatever. Right. They, you know, there was also the stigma. If I get COVID, it's like, you know, it's like, you know, oh, is this a bad thing? I can't hang out with my community anymore. So a lot of the effort that Georgia State and the COVID-19 task force did is educating community if this is an infectious virus and we need to get it tested so know what it is. And I, I never forget that early in March when there was lack of testing around the state, you know, the churches came together in Clarkson and just did a drive-through with, you know, Ethnic Health. And they did like 200 tests in one day. And then they figured out like there was only two, three apartment complexes that were the hotspot. So they focused on those apartment complexes to provide heavy education and prevention. So again, like, you know, again, this is was the biggest challenge is like the education and the knowledge about the disease. Yeah, and, and I think you, you raise a great point with it that um, a lot of it is communication um, and helping people understand what the language is. I think sometimes people forget that um, a lot of the, the, the people that were hardest hit um, are the ones that can least afford to, to, to lose their jobs in a sense because you can't be gone for two weeks for some folks. And I think that's a big challenge. And, and, and I'm glad that to see that in, in Clarkston itself, everybody coming together and educating folks saying, look, this is what, it, it, it's, it's a very infectious disease. And then narrowing down the hot spots. Exactly. And, you know, and understanding the complication, you know, like if you're afraid to, you know, not to be able to go to work and you start infecting your family and your neighbors, you know, and I mean, that's going to be an the economic impact of that is more devastating. And then you just, we just have to educate people. And, you know, and now they also protocol, like, you know, the CDC, they were changing the protocol area on. Now we have more solidified protocol, how to get back to work. So when we tell people, it's not just like, you know, have to be gone for, or to be terminated from your job. There's certain, you know, process if you have to get back to your work. Right, right. No, absolutely. And especially in the beginning, um, obviously we knew less about uh, the, the virus than we do now. Um, and, and you started to see those protocols change to where, it looks like as a as a society we're learning to live with COVID, um, and, and 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 trying to get to some sense of normalcy. Of course, you know, and also like not to forget to like you know to uh, you know make sure like we address like you know wearing a mask, you know, you know social distancing, washing right. your hands, you know, all these simple things like people didn't know about them. So I mean, it was just severe. Like people would wash their hands, but not to wear a mask. What are they? will have a big gathering, but not realize it as, you know, it's the same impact of like going into a gathering without a mask. So was, a lot of education was very important early on, and we, we were able to implement that in our communities. So uh, do you have any good resources um, to suggest for our audience? Yes. Yeah, so, so the Georgia State, you know, School of Public Health, the, the Prevention Research Center actually has tremendous, a lot of information that has been translated in various languages, and also a lot of resources for like people from underserved community, you know, immigrants, you know, English speaking refugees. So I would say like that's one of the great, you know, hub right now that a lot of resources have been shared because they work very closely with the community. And, you know, there's a bi-directional conversation with the community leaders and also the different institution uh, around the city. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. Do you have any uh, final thoughts or takeaways or key messages you'd like to leave with our audience? I think, you know, it's, it's very important for us to focus on the underserved community. And this is just including also immigrants, refugees, and, you know, American from low socioeconomic status. I feel like I believe if we could help the most underserved and ones in need, we could help the entire country. Because as we know, like those people like from those communities are most affected by healthcare issues. So if we could provide good care to them and, you know, and, and affordable and sustainable care, we could help the entire country in the meantime. Well, thank you. First of all, I want to say thank you for your time today. 
I want to thank you for the information and I want to thank you for everything that you're doing for your patients. No problem. Thank you so much. It's my honor. Absolutely. And uh, I also like to thank and applaud the rest of our tireless and heroic physicians and allied healthcare professionals and staff for everything that they're doing, especially during this time in COVID-19. From everybody at MAG, thanks for watching and we look forward to catching up with you next time on Top Docs. Thanks for watching this episode of Top Docs. Please share this program with your colleagues and family and friends. Remember to follow MAG on Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget, you can get past episodes of the show at mag.org backslash top docs. From everybody at MAG, we look forward to catching up with you on our next episode of Top Docs.